Hey everybody, welcome back to the Big Mark Podcast. It's me, your host, Big Mark. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, if it's your first time listening, welcome. If not, welcome back. Um, if you've uh, if you've never heard the the spiel, I always like to say, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Check it out. Make sure you know when we have uh, all of our videos. Hit that bell. Um, and uh, like I said, you know, drop a comment if you'd like. If you want to hit us up on requesting a topic, like today's episode, shout out to my boy Colin Gregory. This one's for you, brother. Um, let us know. We'll, we'll fucking do it. Just like my boy Mike Norman, too. I get get lots of uh, requests from all from everybody. And, you know, please, please let me know and and we'll get to it. I love I love doing these topic episodes, too. And then if you want to come on as a guest, my boy Home Devo, we're going to get you on soon. Let's let's link it up and get it get it going. And uh, we'll get some more guests on, too. I was just thinking today. I'm like, oh, man, I'd like to talk to some people now that things are opening up a little bit. Um, again, you know, hit us up on our Twitter, on our Instagram at the big Mark pod at the big Mark, big Mark podcast for any of that stuff. And if you want to support the podcast, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash the big Mark pod. There's different tiers there that you can uh, support the podcast at and, uh, keep it going. Keep these lights on over here. If you know what I mean? Um, like I said, this is another kind of request, a uh, request episode, um, it's, and it's very fitting, um, being that today is April 5th, the day of filming this anyway, April 5th, 2022. And that's, that marks the 20th anniversary of Lane Staley, the lead singer of Allison Chains death. And that's who we're going to be talking about today. Allison Chains. Um, it's kind of funny. The last three episodes have been a little bit, uh, a little bit thematic, so to speak. They've all kind of been in the grunge genre and, um, uh, again, it's just kind of like the way it's kind of shaken out, funny enough. But um, again, 20 years already, like that was April 5th, 2002. So 2002 is 20 years ago, people like, woo. Um, so like I said, I'm going to talk a little bit about the band Alice in Chains today. Super cool band. Um, an American rock band from Seattle, Washington. Um, so again, you know, your sound gardens, your Pearl Jams, your Nirvana's, Mud Honey, all these boys all came. That's the, the, the kind of grungy bands from uh, all from Seattle. And it was just an amazing scene. Um, maybe I'll wait a couple weeks before before doing that topic. But just really interesting, again, the fact where so many bands were coming out of the same place at the same time. And it was a very supportive thing. They were really there there was no like kind of competition it was more so how can we kind of lift each other up and each band had a you know they were all considered grunge but what was grunge really you know it was heavy guitars and drums with really good po- kind of poppy melodies and awesome lyrics and really good singing and just kind of put it together right so it was just kind of the evolution of where rock and classic rock and all that and all that stuff was kind of heading it just kind of went down down this other other pathway, and again, you know, like your Pearl Jams and and bands like that, you know, kind of had those more thoughtful lyrics and things like that. Started kind of, you know, the early days of, of getting into that kind of emo emo thing too, right? So it was a transitional period for sure in music, and it was also kind of like I've mentioned before, right at the beginning of MTV. So a lot of these guys were really getting pushed in front of the camera where years previous that none of that none of that mattered so they were kind of the first bands to come out and have to deal with that whereas any bands that came out later at least realized oh wow we have mtv to deal with 
you know, we got to kind of look good at least or know how to know how to act in front of a camera. Anyway, uh, Allison Change was formed in 1987, uh, originally by guitarist and vocalist Jerry Cantrell and their drummer Sean Kinney. So they were buddies, and um, they later recruited bassist Mike Starr and uh, lead vocalist lead vocalist Lane Staley. Um, Mike Starr was eventually replaced by Mike Ine- uh, Mike Inez on bass in 1993. Um, the band got its name from Lane Staley's previous group. Um, they were actually a glam metal band, funny enough, called Allison Chains, like kind of like Guns and Roses, like N. In, in, in like the letter N instead of um, and um, was was the original band. They were kind of thinking of, you know, what's like a hard hard word and a soft word, right? Like Alice and Chains, right? Like a soft word and a hard word. And um, that's how that's how they kind of came up with the name. And then um, when they kind of found their niche more in the grunge grunge kind of thing they wanted to get away from that kind of guns and roses kind of thing and change the end to in so alice in chains i guess it doesn't i mean this is the funny thing with names right that all they did was just change a word and then all of a sudden people are thinking oh what does it mean blah 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 really they just changed it because it sounds cool um and again you know they kind of were uh allison allison chains were were kind of dominating more of that heavier side of grunge, you know, Soundgarden um, and, and Alice in Chains of, of the very popular, and Nirvana, of course. I mean, again, it all had like a hard rock sound, but I think as far as like getting into almost like almost the metal genre, Alice in Chains was really kind of on that side of the spectrum. Um, it was really funny in doing some of my research for this. There's a, there's a really cool story that that um surrounds how they kind of how they actually found their lead singer um lane staley so um originally jerry and um jerry cantrell and sean kinney were at a show were at one of state uh lane staley's shows like with with allison chains the glam rock kind of band doing his thing and jerry really loved his voice and he was like i i need him as a singer but lane wasn't totally interested but they all lived in a rehearsal studio and Lane kind of worked the front desk there too. Could you imagine living in a rehearsal studio as a young band? Amazing. Um, and Jerry and Sean basically auditioned all these brutal singers so that Lane could hear them. And they kind of did it just to to kind of coax him into into joining the band, right? So the, um, the, final, the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, is... Um, um, one one of the artists or one of the lead singers, quote unquote, that they brought in to to audition for the band, was actually a male stripper, and he had the full garb on, you know, complete spandex with handkerchiefs and stuff, and uh, and he was a terrible singer, and they they auditioned with him, and I, I don't know if they were like, oh man, this guy's super good, we like him, but regardless, Lane overheard, and he came in, he said, listen, I'm sick of seeing you guys audition all these shitty singers i'll do it hey i get it it's tough to find a good lead singer um so it was great that lane finally joined um because the you know it kind of gave the band basically one of their most distinctive features is the way that they do their vocals in the band very very cool if you never really heard allison chains please go listen hopefully you have if you're listening to this podcast you probably have 
but if not, go check them out. Um, the way Jerry and Lane sing together, they do like really cool harmonies and their their vocals really kind of blend blend really really nicely together, um, which which is super cool um, and kind of sets them apart. I mean. You know, there's a lot of bands out there that have had like, you know, kind of dual lead singers or multi guys in the band saying, you know, it's not just it's not just the one lead singer. And I think that that really gives a band some depth and you can kind of go different places and have almost completely different sounding songs when you have a different lead singer. Right. So really cool. Just a really cool example of how how um, how to use vocals in the rock kind of context. Pretty cool. Uh, the band sold over 14 million records in the U.S. and 30 million worldwide over their career. Um, they released two two number one albums, had 23 top 40 singles, uh, had 11 Grammy nominations, and were ranked 34 on VH1's 100 Greatest Artists of Rock. But even with all the success, the band was plagued by their lead singer's substance abuse. This is a really tough, you know, it's, it's a tough aspect, a tough reality. I don't know how you want to say it in the music industry and obviously you know we talked about um the death of kurt cobain and everything that surrounded that and you know take take what you will from that podcast you know obviously kurt had had issues with substances some substance abuse in the past you know members even members of pearl jam um it's pretty hard to find bands out there not that they don't exist you know but there's, it's pretty hard to find bands out there that haven't had some type of substance abuse problems. You know, Rush, God bless Rush. They're probably one of the only bands I can think of right off the top of my head where no one was really, maybe someone was into the the booze potentially, but no one ever really was dealing with um, with kind of hardcore substance abuse. But, and, and obviously there's other bands out there that haven't, but... Um, is it the tortured artist thing? Is it, you know, you have a little bit of money now you can now you can afford this kind of stuff, right? Like, cause even even in like the restaurant industry, there's a lot of like cocaine usage and stuff because like you have to stay up late and you have all this shit and people are in the back of house like doing whatever they want because no one can see them anyway, and you know it's and and that's like that's like semi rock and roll, right? If it's Anthony Bourdain, that's fully rock and roll. And he was down with H two. So it's really interesting. Specifically heroin, I guess, but any kind of hardcore drug is really, really kind of associated with, with, uh, with music in that sense, you know, even jazz, jazz musicians back in the day were doing, doing a lot of heroin and stuff like that. And, you know, it's a drug that, I mean, I haven't done heroin, but I've done morphine. I had it after shoulder surgeries and stuff and, and you get it and the nurses give it to you. And it's like, you're just like in a nice little warm heaven. You know, you're not really feeling anything at all, which is not, which is good when you have shoulder surgery. But, you know, it's tough to say, you know, there's guys out there like Dr. Mike Hart, who is an advocate for doing heroin every once in a while because it does make it's it's euphoric. It's interesting. We talked about, you know, depriving yourself of things. And it's like if, if you all you have to do is inject this substance in your blood and you feel like you're in heaven. Why is that necessarily bad? Is it because it's cheating? And, you know, we get into that same that same talk that we did with surrounding steroids. You know, what do we cheat? Like who's cheating? What? You know, you're still a human. We make these we make substances in our brain and 
all of a sudden, just because we're taking a substance from somewhere else that that is derived from a poppy, it's from a fucking flower. Yeah, there's a million steps in between and stepped on a million times and there's gasoline and fucking whatever. But what's the difference with that having a fucking cheeseburger that tastes amazing? You know, it's a, it's a question. It's, you know, something you got to kind of approach with an open mind. But obviously the issue, the true issue is that you do too much of it, you die. And you can get addicted to it and it can ruin your life. And no matter how famous you are, if you're fucking Kurt Cobain, if you're Lane Staley, no matter what, those substances can follow you to your death. And, you know, that's the sad part. And, you know, in, in, in some of the research and some of the interviews or footage I saw of Lane Staley kind of kind of being candid about his drug use. You know, he said one of the things that he actually likes likes the most about heroin is the danger is the danger that if, you know, he's kind of riding that line between life and death. And maybe that is part of our culture, too, where we make it seem so awful that, you know, it, it just as much as we want it to deter deter people from doing heroin, you know, saying that you could die and it's dangerous. Some people are actually interested in that or that's what actually gets them hooked on the substance which is, is the danger, which is a really interesting thought. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, th- so... Uh, basically, from about 1992 and on, um, Lane was really dealing with heavy, heavy heroin use, and, and his uh, his addictions were starting to kind of take hold. Um, at times during the band's the band's history, um, lots of sh- lots of shows were canceled. They had to. Um, um, they had to move shows, postpone shows, cancel tours, stop opening. They were supposed to open for Metallica, I guess, on a tour. And it's actually kind of a it's, it's actually kind of a brutal scene. And it just makes me hate fucking Metallica a little bit more. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, all the fans of Metallica out there. God bless. They have some good songs out there, but the guys seem like real dickheads. They fucking really put the gears to that new bass player after their bass player died. And and then all of a sudden when Lane Staley had to postpone or they had to quit the tour, there's a, a there's a scene that I watch where they're all making fun of them. You know, the drummer Lars, I guess, is in the back with the with a drumstick, like a like a needle sticking out of his arm. Like, come on, guys. The guy fucking eventually died from doing it. So, like, how do you feel now? Fucking cowardly lions. Anyway, um, Sorry about that. God bless everybody. Everyone's cool. <laughs> um, and people make mistakes. But um, yeah, like obviously, you know, the band were canceling shows mostly because they cared about Lane too. You know, they weren't just doing this because he couldn't sing. Obviously, you got to do what you got to do. But they wanted him to get help. They wanted everything. And, and you know, a lot of times other members of the band were, were struggling with with their own addiction issues. But, you know, him being the lead singer, it kind of took a lot of a lot of the, the brunt from the media or any of the scrutiny from kind of other people. And, you know, Lane was always one of the first people to kind of tell others that were struggling with addiction that they got to get off this stuff and, you know, got to be careful. And, you know, it's a cautionary tale, but it's always hard to listen to someone who's who's 
clearly battling their own demons and and, and also giving out um, giving out advice. But again, who 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 else would better know than someone that's that's gripped by addiction? Um, basically, so from '92 till about '96 or so, you know, the band was sticking together, still still putting out albums. But kind of very slowly over the years, Lane was taken over by the heroin at times when when people would see him, um, you know, he was just looking ever more skeletal and losing teeth and had lesions all over himself and stuff. And but he never really stepped fully away from the music. You know, he was recording stuff um, remotely. Sorry, not virtually because this is back in the day, but recording stuff remotely. And. Um, he, he did, he did some vocals on a, on a cover of another brick in the wall, Pink Floyd song, um, for Cronenberg movie, I think, or some, some sci-fi movie. Um, but really interesting to think, you know, someone struggling that much with their addictions, you know, he can still find a way to try and sing a little bit and try and do his thing. Um, After a decade or so um, of battling his heroin addiction, Lane was found dead in his Seattle condo on April 19th, 2002. Uh, The autopsy showed that he died from a mix of cocaine and heroin, a.k.a. a speedball. Um, Same thing that took Belushi, I think the same thing that took Chris Farley. Um, The autopsy showed that he died on April 5th, 2002, 20 years ago today when this is being recorded. Um, so he died obviously two weeks before his body was found. Uh, Mike Starr, the former bass player of Allison Chains was the last person to, to have seen and seen Lane alive. Um, Mike was actually high at the time on benzodiazepines and said he regretted not calling 911 after Staley warned, warned against, warned it against him. So basically Staley said, don't call 911, man, like... I don't know if he's saying I wanted to, he wanted to kill himself or, you know, he just didn't want to deal with the hassle that he had everything under control. Like, don't worry about me, man. But I've been in a situation similar where you're worried about your friend and you don't want to leave. And, you know, obviously, thankfully, I wasn't on benzos, but I didn't leave and I ended up having to call someone to come and replace me. And, um, I hope it kept my buddy alive, at least at that time. And again, you know, it's something where you hope you never have to do it. But when your friends get in trouble, you know, you got to be you got to be there for them. And again, it's something that uh, that Mike Starr regretted um, for sure. Um, So obviously it was it was tough. You know, Lane Lane Staley was was 34 when he passed away. Um. And, you know, the music industry was rocked, but it wasn't necessarily a big surprise. Obviously, this was something that happened over years and uh, just heartbreaking, right? Like, you know, just watching someone kind of slip through everyone's fingers. Um, In 2008, though, the band did reform with William Duvall as their lead vocalist. Uh, They continue to tour and make albums to this day. They made three more albums. The last album they they released in, in 2017 or 2018, just before the Pandy Wandy. And it's interesting, it's interesting to think about bands reforming, you know, after a member dies. There's there's plenty of them. Um, and there's plenty of bands that as soon as a member dies, they never they never play another t- another tune together, right? You know, Zeppelin, obviously, after John Bonham died, 
was really hard. You know, they did some charity kind of stuff, but they were they were all intents and purposes done. You know, Yes, for instance, fucking broke into two bands and were both called Yes, and they just both ripped. And they're like, yeah, we all wrote these songs. Just go for it, man. If you want to play with someone else, that's cool. But we all wrote this shit, so let's just share. Um, and then again, you know, there's plenty of bands out there that have replaced lead singers, guitar players, drummers, bass, you name it, right? So it's tough, right? Like, you know, people who, who are living, they're still living. What do you do, right? Do you, do you continue to play and it becomes now you're honoring the legacy of your friend who's passed away or, um, is respecting their legacy and not, not playing actually the way to go. Right. So it's very, it's, it's super interesting to kind of think about, um, but either way you got to respect it. So good, good for the boys to continue on and, and do their thing. And I think, you know, the big, the big kind of ideas that come out of today, you know, Allison Chains is, is a tremendous band, really cool songs. Go check them out. You know, them bones was, uh, a staple on guitar here. I remember back in the day, but just so many really, really interesting songs. But again, a band plagued by drug addiction, which is a whole other topic, but that whole tortured artist and, you know, trying to escape things and, you know, people who have real pain, you know, will turn to substances, especially like heroin that, that numb you out. And, you know, obviously, obviously drug addiction and mental health are, 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 you know, inextricably linked and you know you look at you look at people who who do create really interesting unique really good art you know sometimes they do struggle struggle with mental health issues and then a lot of a lot of substance abuse um and is it part is it part and parcel with their artistic ability you know you know how much how much how many artists out there wonder you know if i got healthy would I still be able to make the, the great art that I make? Is that quote unquote health is, is my mental illness what actually makes me a good artist? You know, that's these are questions that anyone really asks themselves too, right? You know, even people who in 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 social situations, you know, they're like, oh, I'm not gonna be funny anymore. I'm not gonna be, you know, a lot of comedians I know have have dealt with that, right? Where, you know maybe they're dealing with something that's serious that needs that needs actual men that needs serious medical help but they go am i still going to be funny am i still going to be that person on the pills or after the therapy or when i change or when i have to you know ever and but again that's there's the word right there is change you know people are super afraid of it it, it is terrifying no one knows no one knows what you're going to be no but no one's the same you know it after seven years each part, each cell in your body has replicated into something new. Every part, seven years, that's it. So you're, new, you're a new person every seven years. So to think that you don't change, right? You can't be neutral on a moving train because things keep going, whether you like it or not, whether you try to change and not changing, you know, classic Pearl Jam line, I change by not changing at all. And that's what a lot of people try to do, right? You know, they think, oh, I'm staying the same, but things move on. Things move forward. People grow. People change. People do things that alter their course, uh, their futures, their past. 
you know. But again, we we can only live in the present. We can only move forward the way we want to. But it's impossible to control. So you got to go with it and you got to go with the flow. You know, it's it's you do more damage by clinging on to the side of that branch and and gripping so hard that, you know, you're white knuckling it through life. That raging torrent that's that's building and, and pushing on your back as you as you grip that branch. It will just carry you if you let go. It'll bring you down the hill. It'll bring you down, sorry, the river, and you're you're just gonna float, and and things will make make more sense, you know. As much as we try and plan, you know, things will things will always change. There'll always be something different down down the down the river. So, somewhere down that crazy river, as uh, as Robbie Robertson would say. I wish I had some Alice in Chains lines to fucking drop right now, but um, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. Um, if you ever, uh, if you ever want to reach out and let me know anything, please hit us up on our Instagram at the Big Mark Pod at the Big Mark Podcast. Um, check out our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash the Big Mark Pod. Like and subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell everyone you know. Please, we'll we'll double the podcast overnight if everyone just goes out and tells one person about this podcast. I love you all. Can't wait to talk to you soon. Have a great one. Peace. <laughs>